Hi, I'm Gabby Herculano. And I'm Shella Lika, and you're listening to Climate Solutions with Gabby and Shella. A weekly podcast where we bring to you evidence of acceleration of the massive shift towards a green, sustainable, and balanced economy. We have a laser focus on the 2030 milestone of cutting emissions in half. Our children deserve better, and we have no time to waste. Join us and our guests as we discuss the innovative and impactful solutions shaping our world. Stefan, we're so happy to have you here. We're going to be talking about some very exciting um, sci-fi kind of uh, things with you today. You're CEO, CEO of GHG Sat. You're based in Canada. Um, so to begin with, we like to talk about um, your own journey and, and, and why um, a satellite for data. You, you come, you're an engineer, but you come from, from consulting. So you've been at GHSAT for the last 10 years. What, what motivated you to transition from, from Bain to, to lead the team at GHG? GHG? If you could share that with us, that'd be great. Sure, so I, I've always had a passion for space and seeing if I could find a way to bring space down to earth. And I had a, a parallel passion in the environment and uh, it really came together in the 2000s when the miniaturization of technology got to a point where you could cram something really, really impressive into something really, really small, like an iPhone. <laughs> so you take a, that miniaturization of technology and all of a sudden you can do something very useful in, a, in, in the case of space in a small satellite. And when I realized that it was possible to take a sensor that could detect greenhouse gas emissions. And I knew there was obviously a growing concern for the level of greenhouse gas emissions worldwide, that perhaps there'd be an, an opportunity for at space, using space to bring that knowledge down to earth to, to in service of the environment. So that it all came together in about 2010. Um, I was at a point in my career where I decided that, you know, if I'm gonna scratch the itch and do something entrepreneurial, it's now or it's going to get only going to get harder. So I decided that it was time to do it. And I took the plunge in 2010 with a couple of business partners and have been having for, fun for the last 10 years. It's been, it's been an amazing adventure that I'm, I'm so glad that I took on. That sounds all great. And I think it would be really interesting for our audience to hear more about the technology. So how does that work? And can you tell us a little bit more about the products and how they're rolled out currently? Sure. So what we we literally had to invent is a spectrometer. So a spectrometer is a, a device which um, detects the presence of a gas in the atmosphere by looking at the light absorbed by the presence of the gas molecules. So every gas in the atmosphere it, it absorbs light at very specific wavelengths. And it's like a, a spectral fingerprint. So if you can see light absorbed at specific wavelengths, you know the gas is there. So our spectrometer, which is designed to look specifically for carbon dioxide and methane and is miniaturized so it'll fit on the satellite, is able to detect the presence of a gas from 500 kilometers away in orbit um, at a very high resolution. So we can see it on um, a 25 meter by 25 meter pixel within 
a 12 by 12 kilometer pixel, so if you, uh, field of view. So if you think of that as a, a picture you take with, it, with your iPhone, you might have 12 million pixels or 15 million pixels or however megapixels are in a, a typical picture these days. That every one of those pixels has a bit of information about the picture that you're taking. The equivalent for us is we have about a million pixels in a 12 by 12 kilometer frame. And every one of our pixels is 25 meters by 25 meters and has spectroscopic information about the presence of a gas. And that's how we collect concentrations of methane and carbon dioxide worldwide in 12 by 12 kilometer snapshots around industrial facilities and ultimately are able to determine the presence of uh, or emissions of carbon dioxide and methane from industrial facilities. We, we definitely want to get into that um, application, if you will, in terms of, of climate change, but on the technology, just so that we get a better um, understanding of how it works. These are small satellites, so I presume low orbit satellites, and um, you talk about the solution being at a fraction of a cost. So is, is a fraction of a cost, you're, you're converging the spectrometer with the low orbit satellite solution. So can you explain to us how you get to that price competitiveness and, and what do you mean by small satellite? How small is that? Okay, so a, sm a small satellite means uh, literally the size of a microwave oven. So when people think of satellites, they think of school buses, they think of billion dollar things in orbit. In fact, you know, um, there's, uh, you know, what's in the, in the news these days is the James Webb Space Telescope, this brand new telescope um, that uh, being built by multiple countries around the world costs billions and billions of dollars. And this is an enormous thing. Well, well, ours is nothing like that. It's literally a 15 kilogram microwave oven flying around in space. <laughs> so there's a couple of different answers to the fraction of the cost. So one is each one of our satellites is literally less than 1% of the cost of um, European Space Agency satellite, for example, to monitor greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. It's, it's literally less than 1%, right? That's capital cost. But when you amortize that over the thousands and thousands of measurements that will take over the life of the satellite, it turns out our cost per measurement is literally a fraction of the cost of sending out the teams that today are used to measure greenhouse gas emissions. So you have to think about how companies do that today. If you're an oil and gas company or a landfill operator or a coal mine operator, you'll typically send out a team with a handheld device, whether it's a camera or a physical sniffer type device. And you're literally gonna to go to every flange and valve and try to find a leak. Or if you're a landfill operator, you'll walk up and down the landfill and try to get a picture of a grid of what the landfill emissions look like. So teams of people driving out to a site with a $100,000 camera and doing all the analysis around that, that sounds expensive, right? It's a fortune. Not, and on top of that, you have to do that for every one of your sites. And if you're a, a major oil and gas company, you've got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of pieces of equipment. It's prohibitively expensive to go measure every one of those. And that's why satellite is just an amazing solution because you cover a lot of territory in you know, a fraction of the time and my incremental cost for taking every one of our measurements is a tiny, tiny fraction of what it costs for sending out a team to do a manual measurement. It makes so much sense and the applications for it right now seem just incredibly vast. 
you've touched on oil and gas. Can you tell us more about your current client base who's using this and, and where you expect that to go? So we have three general uh, verticals that we target. One is um, industrials, and you need to break that down, of course, and I'll get to that in a second. The second was governments, and the third is financial services, which we also need to break down a bit and analyze in a bit more detail. So let me just take each one of those for a second. Industrials, the major emitters of greenhouse gas emissions worldwide, if you take both carbon dioxide and methane, are oil and gas, power generation, um, metals manufacturing like steel, aluminum, um, cement, and agriculture. So we focus first on methane. And within the methane category, really you're looking at oil and gas, uh, landfills, and uh, coal mining. And so for us, we work with um, industrial operators in each one of those categories to help them find their big emissions fast in the case of oil and gas companies or quantify the total emissions from their landfills, for example, so that they can do the, um, uh, the case study, the business case, to figure out what the return on investment would be of putting in place a gas recovery system. So, and sometimes if they can't afford it themselves, they can then go to international organizations to help them raise the funding based on that business case to get that work done in their country. So whether that be, you know, it, well, it can be any developing country or even frankly, even in <laughs> developed countries where we see lots of emissions right now. So that's on the industrial side. Um, on the government side, it's uh, regulators. It's also um, uh, groups that are interested in international development of um, uh, transparency in greenhouse gas emissions, who really want to provide a, a level playing field of all the emissions measurements worldwide so that we really know apples to apples where everybody sits. So when you get into a negotiation like at the United Nations at COP26, you now have a good idea of, of where the real problems are and who's respecting their nationally determined contributions and who's not. Finally, in financial services, um, it's a huge industry. So uh, we try to work with asset managers to help them understand what the mix of um, assets they have, how they emit. We try to work with um, hedge funds who always want a bit of an edge so that they understand how um, actual performance deviates from uh, uh, guidance provided by management. Sometimes the guidance is a little off, just not necessarily because of ill will, but just because they may not be aware of the total emissions from their facilities. And um, we can also work with uh, the, uh, the audit firms to help them, on the one hand, look at professional services to help better understand and put in place the right ESG type of metrics you'd want for um, a large corporation. But ultimately, we hope we also will be working on the audit side, where uh, as new IFRS rules and ISSB uh, standards come in place, that uh, audit firms are now going to have to ensure that the processes are in place to report adequately and appropriately on those new standards. So there's just, you know, a huge opportunity. I can talk about this for hours. There's a huge opportunity across all those segments. COP26 was, was um, I mean, we, we hear Greta, we presented there. There was some blah, blah, blah. But I, we our view is that it was remarkable. It was uh, a COP where the private sector stepped up to the plate. Um, it was good news for you because there was so much talk around methane, right? So CH4 is something that you are very well positioned to monitor. Combined with that, 
we're moving from voluntary to very soon mandatory disclosures, right? Mark Carney was talking so much about that, IFRS stepping up to the plate. So that sounds like it will be a great opportunity for, for, for your company, but, but for the planet is, is good news that we have a solution like your satellites in place. And, and um, are you the holy grail? Are you the, the, the reason why we'll be able to get so much data, precise data about all the companies and all the emitters, whether or not the emitters themselves are quantifying and disclosing, disclosing, disclosing their own um, emissions. Well, I, I certainly think and I and we're working really hard to be part of the solution where uh, we are bringing in a unique set of data to the world at a time when they really need it. The world needs to know about how much methane is being emitted and need to act on it now. So we're raising the level of transparency globally by making our data available to anybody and really measuring all kinds of sources all over the world. So we hope that, uh, you know, we can work with the industrial operators, with governments to help them better understand their emissions so they can eventually control them and reduce them. And uh, so far, I think some of our results speak for themselves. We've, we've managed to shut down coming up on six and a half megatons of carbon dioxide equivalent so far, just in the last two years. And we don't do it directly. We work with our partners to do that. And I can tell you that's less than 1% of the opportunity we see out there today. It's There's just a tremendous opportunity to address methane, which really is the low-hanging fruit of climate action that's available to us today. Most of the methane that's emitted today are from sources that there are known solutions to mitigate. And um, some of those can even be done profitably. So I, I say that with a bit of a, you know, bit of reserve because uh, there's different ways to calculate that. But certainly at the price of gas as it is today, oh, there's definitely a lot of things that can be done easily with known technologies and can be done on a return on investment that's measured in you know weeks not or even positive immediately versus you know letting things leak so i'm very enthusiastic for the opportunity that exists today and uh the opportunity not just to have an impact and reduce emissions but also you know uh be profitable as a business and and keep expanding our services so i think it's a it's a really a good time to be where we are Staying on the topic of methane, it, because it received so much press at COP26 with all the countries that signed up to reduce emissions significantly by 2030, the U.S. and China specifically, part of that alliance, pledging to work together, meeting again the heads of state early in 2022. Can you talk to us a little bit about China and how it plays into sort of your strategy? Is it is it something that you see as a massive market uptaking solutions like yours? Um, or, or where do you see sort of its stance and how it might evolve? China is the largest emitter of coal mine emissions in the world by far, like hands down by far. China also has, of course, landfills and, and oil and gas emissions. We've seen those as well, but, but really the coal mines are off the charts. They are by far the largest emitter. I, I think they're well aware of the magnitude of their emissions. Uh, and yet, you know, they also have a huge challenge because coal is a, is a very important part of their energy mix. So um, I, I think the challenge in China is uh, 
first and foremost, to keep measuring and make sure that they know the, the real numbers around their emissions and to track their progress as they put in place initiatives to um, help drive their economy along the energy transition. I, I think it's unrealistic to expect that there'll be an overnight shift to green energy, to renewable energy in a place like China. But uh, I do believe there um, is a strong will from the Chinese government to make that transition for a whole bunch of reasons, not, not because it's altruistic, but because they need more power. The power coming from coal often leads to a lot of air quality issues, which are immediately felt in, by everyone in the country and, and, and in adjacent countries. It contributes to climate change, which the Chinese government clearly appreciates as a global issue. And it sees the opportunity to be a global player. And as it's already stated many times, a global player in, in climate change. So uh, I think for a lot of good reasons, um, there's going to be action. I think it's going to be slow and complicated. Uh, and I think measurement's a key part of what they need to do in order to understand the, the, the magnitude of the problem and their progress along solving the problem. We're we're getting close to the end of the the episode. We always like to end to ask towards the end, um, uh, of, of, uh, kind of like your views on on blue skies. But before we get into that, what keeps you awake at night? What worries you the most? Both in terms of of course climate change, but also in terms of of your company. What you need to be doing so that you can um, deliver this 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 pretty potentially impactful solution on on all these disclosures and the data that we need to we need to we need to have in place so great opportunities but also no doubt challenges can you share with us you know from entrepreneur to entrepreneur what what is currently um keeping you awake at night well we already touched on the main thing that's keeping me awake which is that uh, of everything we see and we see a, a tremendous amount of emissions worldwide less than 1% of that is being acted on right now. That, that is the part that just frustrates me to no end. And I'm constantly trying to think of ways to um, uh, drive to action, not just words, but action. The second part, which is more specific to my company is that I need to find, and it's related to the first point, is I need to find better and better ways to get data into people's hands so that they can act on it. And of course, I can't do that for free. I'm not a charity. So how do I do that in a way that enables uh, uh, the data to get out more, increase the transparency, accelerate action, and yet still generate enough revenue to sustain and grow the company so that we can keep offering those services and expand our services? So it's uh, it's it's quite a, a puzzle. It's very exciting. I, I wouldn't trade the opportunity for the world. I'm thrilled to be where I am right now, and I, and I hope we, uh, I'm sure we'll find a way to make a, an incredible contribution over the next few years. We have no doubt about that. And now getting to the final question, as Gabby mentioned, the blue sky thinking over the next few years, maybe medium term as well as long term, what do you see the direction of travel in terms of the mandatory requirements for disclosure, the use of products like yours as a way of doing that, the opening up of a country like China to use your products, for instance, where do you see the world in, in the next few years and long term? Well, in a, in a real blue sky view of the world, um, I, I would like climate data from satellites to become like GPS. You don't think about it anymore. Every device you own has a GPS chip in it or just about these days. 
And you probably don't realize that that data, which governs a large part of your life, is driven by the satellites that are providing you some really unique and important information. I'd like to believe that greenhouse gas information from satellites will wind up maybe not being quite as pervasive as GPS, but will be factored into what kind of gas you buy at the pump or what, what kind of gas you pay for for heating your home, what kind of uh, commodities you're going to buy because this one has a lower greenhouse gas intensity than this one. So if you're whether you're at work and you're trying to decide, you know, what kind of building you're going to help build, or you know, is it going to be something that has lower greenhouse gas intensity, or more greenhouse gas intensity, more efficient, less efficient? Whether you're at home and making consumer choices, it'll be embedded in everything we do, and I think that would be a huge win for all of us on climate change, but also would be a fantastic business opportunity, not just for us, but a whole ecosystem of players that are trying to develop everything around greenhouse gas data right now. We will be following your work very closely. We're considering a way for us to also use that data. We'll love to uh, to learn more. Um, we we had a conversation with with a very interesting uh, gentleman. He said, you know, if we could see, if we could see emissions, if people could see emissions, we wouldn't be where we are because we would have already, you know, tried so hard to to change all of that. Um, you make that possible. You make that visible. Um, and you quantify that and you're very precise in, in the way you do that. So we will be closely uh, watching you, uh, you know, bring to market more solutions and we will love to find a way to, to see a bit of that data. And thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you both and uh, look forward to continuing our discussion over the next month and years. Thank Thanks you. again, Stephen. Thanks for listening. You can listen to Climate Solutions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your shows. You can also leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or like and subscribe on YouTube. To find out more about us, visit us at iClimate.Earth or at Climate Solutions with Gabi and Shala on YouTube or on Instagram. Click the links in the video to know more about us or our guests. See you next time.